Have you ever noticed how noisy this location on 28th Street is? Of course, as I say that, I'm not hearing much. But remember when we used to have the services outside during COVID? And it's hard to hear me because of what? All you hear at this location is rubber on road. This dull roar of traffic constantly. Now, I I notice it probably because I live here and I work in that office every day. And so there's always this dull roar. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's probably why we chose this location for our church so many years ago. Because a lot of road noise means a lot of cars driving past, seeing the cross, seeing that there's a church here for you. So that's a good thing. And really it doesn't bother me because after a while you just tune it out. But this corner is also noisy for another reason. Every day, probably two, three, four times sometimes, I hear sirens, right? Just sirens going by. Emergency vehicles, ambulances, um, fire trucks, uh, police cars. And that's the noise that I always notice every time. Why? It's not just because of the shrill sound of the siren. I think it's more than that. Whenever I hear the emergency vehicles, I immediately think someone has a real problem, right? Someone had something happen to them this day that ruined their day, possibly changed their entire life. So it catches my attention that there's a problem. So I stop, and I wonder, and I think, and more than that, I pray because there's such a big problem. But I also admit that after the sirens go away, after the prayer's done, I I go on with my business. It's a big problem, but it's not my problem. So this week, I thought about a little different scenario. What about the people inside those emergency vehicles? What are they doing? They're doing something very different from what I'm doing. They are going as fast as they can toward the problem. Right? And why? They're going there to make someone else's problem their problem. They're going to make someone else's need their need. All so that their act of rescue and their act of saving can become that person's rescue and saving. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? When you really think about it. I bring that up because that's the exact same thing that is happening here today. As we look in the Gospel of Mark, it's not sirens that are catching our attention, but it's the splashing of water. But it's the exact same point. Jesus gets into the waters of a muddy river to make someone else's problem his problem. Jesus gets into the Jordan River to receive this baptism he didn't need to save a people who didn't deserve it all so that people could have all the blessings that God has to give. It's a beautiful thing. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just explore this this somewhat strange event of Jesus' baptism. And as we do that, as we look at Mark, I want to discover these things together. What is the problem that that Jesus' baptism addresses? Secondly, how is Jesus connected to this whole baptism? And then thirdly, how are we connected to Jesus? So let's, let's think about this as we get into these words. As we do get into these words, they are very much like a siren, grabbing our attention and telling us there's a problem. 
So I want to read the first verses again, and I want you to see if you can come up with what the problem is. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Do you see the problem? I've highlighted a couple of phrases there. Confessing, needing forgiveness of sins, repentance. These people had something to confess. These people had something that they needed to turn away from, repent. These people had a deep need to be forgiven for something. And I just want to say, this isn't just John the Baptist's idea. This isn't just his, his kind of teaching because he's preachy and judgy. It literally says, John the Baptist appeared preaching. It literally says, heralding, announcing. So in other words, he had a message from someone else. And we know from the Bible that this is God himself giving a message to his people that there's a problem. But to be honest, the people already knew this. Their whole lives, for generation before them, for centuries before them, they had had this message that there was a problem. And the message was, God is holy. People fall short. God is pure. People are unclean. If you don't believe me that this was the message forever, way before John the Baptist, have you ever tried to read your Bible starting at the beginning and just go to the end? Ugh, it, it goes pretty good until you get to that third book of the Bible, right? Leviticus. You know what I'm talking about if you tried it. You get to Leviticus and there's all these strange rules strange regulations and it's it's confusing to us if if you do this you're unclean right if you come into contact with that you're unclean if this happens if you do that you're unclean you can't come into God's house and it just confuses us but as we look at all these people gathering around the Jordan all of those people that that was their everyday life this was the constant message to them why because God was communicating to them the message that there's a problem. And the problem is sin, and sin makes people unclean. Think of it like this. If you go on a hike to the muddiest trail in Boulder right now, I guarantee you, you're not going to walk into your house with your hiking shoes on and walk all over the clean carpet. Right? It doesn't belong there. If your dog goes out and gets sprayed by a skunk today, you're not going to let your dog anywhere near your house. Right? That's the simple message that God was saying to his people. God's message was that people unclean with sin cannot enter the presence of a holy, pure God. That was Leviticus. But if you're still with me, please hear this. That's not the only message of Leviticus. That's not the only message of the Old Testament and not John either. God also had a message that there was a way for people to come near him. And guess what it was? Same picture. To wash away the uncleanness. And that's why if, you're, if you have that willpower and you keep trudging through Leviticus, you're going to find all kinds of washings too. Literally baptisms. Water applied in a ceremonial way. You'll see people 
You'll see water applied to people. You'll see water applied to the priests. You'll see water applied to utensils. Why? Because God was communicating that his greatest desire wasn't to tell you about your sin necessarily, but his greatest desire was to wash you clean, to bring people to himself. That's God's greatest desire. I wanted to spend a little time on that because I want you to realize the setting, the, con- the, setting, the context for people coming out to the Jordan. Over and over, for centuries, this was the message. Sin makes people unclean. God wants to clean you and bring you to himself. So do you see why so many people, all of Judea, the whole countryside, were, they were gathered at the Jordan River? It's because they wanted to confess their sins. They wanted to turn away from those sins and they so longed to be washed clean and be brought near to God. So what did they do? They went out to the guy who was heralding a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the problem. And real quick, before we move away from the first section, the problem, let's apply it to ourselves. Do we, do we hear the sirens going off in our lives and in God's word Signaling there's a problem for us. I have a hunch that we hear those. But isn't it easy to put them in the back of your mind to, to kind of drown them out like I do the road noise as I'm working in my office? It is. And I, I think it's easy because if we look to societies and cultures' uh, expectations, well, we don't feel so bad. Right? Or if we set up other people as our point of comparison, we don't feel so unclean. But if we move away from those things and we start to get closer to God and his word or here in worship, pretty soon we start to smell the stench. We start to see the gaudy stains of our sin. And isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we gather? To confess our sins to God to turn away from sin and most of all, just so longing to be washed clean and be brought near to God. That's the problem that's addressed with Jesus' baptism. So, we know why the people are there. We know why we're here today. But I think the biggest question of this whole event, why is Jesus at the Jordan River? Why is the sinless Son of God, this spotless Lamb of God, why is he anywhere near a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Doesn't make sense, does it? Have you seen the Amazon movie, Amazon Prime movie, Air? Oops, this one. Have you seen that movie? It's a a movie, it's an Amazon original. It's a story about the most iconic basketball shoe of all time, the Nike Air Jordan, pictured there. And in the movie, it tells the story about how Nike executives spend all of their time, all of their energy, especially all of their money, trying to get Michael Jordan to represent their shoe. But to Michael Jordan, it was just a shoe. He had all the shoes in the world he could have represented. A shoe is just a shoe to him. 
And so Nike was pretty genius, and there's a great quote in the movie that went like this. Basically, Michael Jordan was right, but they said, a shoe is just a shoe unless someone steps into it. And that's the beauty of that quote. Once you have the greatest basketball player of all times in that shoe, that shoe is so much more than a shoe. Can you picture that same thing with our question about Jesus and baptism? Water is just water. It really is. From the time Leviticus was written, the book I talked about just a few minutes ago, there were all these washings. People would apply simple water that really didn't do anything, but it showed them what they needed and what God provided. And even our baptisms, whether it's at a font like this or in a stream that's local here, it's just water. It's beautiful, it's valuable, but it's just water. Until Jesus stepped into it. Everybody was coming and confessing they were baptized. And at that same time, what happened? Jesus came and was baptized. Jesus didn't need this water of baptism. But the water of baptism needed Jesus as the source of its power as the essence of everything God could offer people. Jesus didn't need a sinner's baptism. He was sinless. But sinners being baptized need Jesus. And so that's why he stepped into the filth of our human existence so that he could give his holiness, his healing, his forgiveness, his salvation to everyone who receives him by faith. You see, all the sin that we get rid of, Jesus freely took upon himself. All the forgiveness we go to him seeking, he gives to us. And so, really, Jesus' baptism was a willingness, and maybe even more than that, a promise that he would take upon himself all the sins that we leave into the water of baptism, he would take them upon his shoulders. He would carry them all the way to the cross and wash them completely clean, not with water, but with his holy, precious blood. That's the reason we don't have all these ceremonial washings anymore. That's the reason why for centuries, almost from its very inception, the Christian church has confessed one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It's because Jesus connected himself to baptism once for all, to solve sinner's problem. So we know the problem. We know Jesus' connection to baptism now. What's our connection to him? I'll just start that by saying this. I am so happy that we got to remember uh, Ellis' baptism today. What a cool thing that Parents joyfully remembered that day today. What a cool thing that sponsors voiced their, their support. What a cool thing that family and friends came from far and near to just join in this blessing. Why? It makes me so happy because this is the fitting response to baptism. And I say that not because I'm a Lutheran pastor, but because look at the, how this text ends. 
Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw a heaven being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Holy Trinity could not help but respond to Jesus' baptism. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit essentially did what we all did today and rejoiced at this baptism, but in a such greater way. The heavens ripped open. Can you imagine that? The Holy Spirit himself descended like a dove and glorified Jesus with power, with authority. The Father voiced his divine approval not only on his Son, but on the mission he was taking up. To me, this is an awesome thing to see that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rejoiced in and also joined in this mission to forgive and save people. And the reason I say that is because I hope by now you're seeing the connection, your connection. Who was there and working when we are baptized? Who is there when we are baptized? I'll give you a little hint. Think about the words that Jesus gave us to use in baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, that same Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was there and working at your baptism or will be at your baptism. Why? Because the Spirit descends to grant you power to believe and to live this new life. The Son climbed into the muddy mess and water of your life so that He could identify with you to take up your struggle to know the guilt and the hurt that you feel, to shoulder the disappointments you carry, to conquer the temptations that rack our lives. He's in the water with you and for you. And then the Father voices his approval over you, his dear son or daughter. If the Father approved of Jesus, he approved of his humanity that he assumed, right? And if he approved of the humanity he assumed, he approves of all humans who are in faith in Christ. And so that's my last point. In baptism, in your baptism, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are connected to Jesus and his saving work. And the beautiful thing that you can go home with today is this. If you are connected to Jesus and his saving work, you are the object of God's love, his mercy, his affection. It's a beautiful thing. It's easy to get used to noise. It really is. Um, I, I hardly hear, unless I'm like listening for it, the road noise going by. I think the same thing can happen in worship. It, it's no secret. Like Every Sunday we follow a very similar pattern, don't we? It's easy to get used to that worship noise. My encouragement to you today is don't see it as noise. And Jesus' baptism encourages us to do that. The, the one thing I want to encourage you not to see as noise is this. How do we start our services? We did it today, if you look in your bulletin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. After we confess our sins and we hear the beautiful announcement of God's forgiveness, how does that end? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's not noise. That's the beautiful reminder of your connection 
to God. A, a beautiful reminder of the fact that you need God. A beautiful reminder of who God is, who Jesus is, and what he is willing to do for you. Your beautiful reminder that you, through your baptism, through your faith, are connected to Jesus now and through all eternity. What a beautiful thing. I, I kind of mentioned at the beginning, this is a kind of a strange event. Why is Jesus being baptized? I've changed my mind. This is one of the most beautiful events we can take a look at. Because everything you see here, it shows you that all of this, all of this is for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen.